Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. We are in a series called That You May Believe. We're looking at the gospel of John and the miracles that Jesus performed and why. Well, John 20 verse 31 gives us the reason why. It says this, but these are written that you may what? Believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yeah, so my intention in this series is that you would believe more in Jesus. If you don't believe, that you would start to believe. And then if you believe, that you would up your belief, more faith, come on, and then that we would have life in his name, life that would be more and more abundant, that we would believe that the Lord can do anything that happens to be needed to be done, whatever is needed to be done, that the Lord can do it. He can accomplish it. doesn't mean we get everything that we want. doesn't mean He answers every prayer the way we want it answered. But that God is at work on our behalf. That God is at work in us and through us. Last week, we saw the miracle of the man who had not been able to walk for almost four decades. The Pool of Bethesda. And Jesus says, hey, do you want to get well? And what does the man do? He gives him three negatives in one sentence. And he starts by saying, you know what? There's, there's nobody to put me in the water when the water is stirred. And there's always someone that gets ahead of me. And there's no way that I can have what I need to have. But Jesus didn't ask him to explain his story. Jesus asked him one question. Do you want to get well? And maybe the man was, as we used the word last week, stuck. Maybe he was so stuck in his condition that it became kind of like his security blanket. He didn't even want to get better because that's what he knew. So he stayed there. Well, today we have a word, and the word is overwhelmed. Anybody ever been overwhelmed? Anybody overwhelmed now? (laughs) Yeah. Um, If you're overwhelmed, can you just be whelmed? Any of our grammar people here or writers? uh, Come on. Can you be whelmed? I looked it up, I couldn't find whelmed, but, but you can be overwhelmed, not just underwhelmed, or kind of whelmed, or sort of whelmed, or just whelmed, you, you're overwhelmed. And we're going to see a story that's very familiar today that will be an overwhelming story, where you have too many needs to carry, not enough arms, where you have too many bills to pay and not enough resources, where you have too many concerns and your compassion is running low. Well, John 6 helps us to understand what we can do in the midst of an overwhelming time. And here's what it says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Uh, Remember, he healed the man. He told him, pick up your mat and walk from last week's story. He also healed the nobleman's son. Remember in Capernaum? He came to him and said, Jesus, my son is dying. And then Jesus said, you just go home. He's going to be well. And then they also heard it really wasn't the healing of the sick, but that he turned water into wine. And it would cause you to believe that if the crowds knew about the miracle power of Jesus, that somehow the disciples would have known. They were his closest comrades. They were in his small group. There was 12 of them. You think they would have really understood the miracle power 
of Jesus. But the story records that they don't get it. They have the miracle worker with them, yet their faith was low. They had this overwhelming situation of feeding the multitude. It, it says that there were 5,000 men there. Uh, ladies, forgive me, but back then when they did census, they really didn't count women. Because back then, women didn't count. Now, you should have, and you do count today, and you're in a church that believes in women and leadership, and we're all fine with that. But back then, it was 5,000 men. Now, if there was 5,000 men, let's just assume that, well, 3,000 of them were married, so now we're going to add three, and five is eight, and there's some kids there, so it could have easily been anywhere between 10, 15, and some scholars even estimate 20,000 people that need to be fed. They're hot, they're tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty. And somehow Jesus says to them, we're going to feed you. Actually, this scripture records that Jesus tells them all to sit down on the grass and get ready for a picnic. And the disciples go, but we have no food. Actually, the last thing you want people to do at your house, if you have no food, invite them to sit down. Because sitting assumes food. We're going to eat if you're sitting. Yeah, you, you sit at the table here, and then you're looking at yourself. You look in the refrigerator, you look in the cupboards, there, there, there's no food. Well, it's a Jewish Passover festival. It's a time of, of spring. It's a time where they're celebrating the Passover uh, when the uh, death angel passed over the homes of the Israelites, and they had sprinkled those homes with the blood of the lamb, and the death angel saw that there were blood sprinkled, and so... The death angel left that home. Those people were spared inside that household because of the blood of the Lamb, which is a type of Christ showing us who Jesus would be as he would shed his blood for us. It's a time of, of celebrating uh, Moses, how he delivered the children of Israel from slavery. It's a great time of spring and, and new flowers and new hope and new life and new grass and, and new births. Everything's exciting there, but there's no food. There's no food. I want to just give you, as you get your notes out this morning, the first thing that we see is the problem is too great. And what is the problem? All these people, all these people, 5,000, 15,000, 20,000. Jesus said in John uh, uh, 6, 5, rather, Philip said, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now, the story records that Jesus looks at Philip and says, Hey, Philip, now maybe Philip was a mathematician. Maybe he was in charge of, uh, of food, maybe in charge of logistics. Maybe he worked for a company that delivers food to restaurants. I don't know. But for some reason, Jesus picks on Philip. And it doesn't say Philip pulled out his calculator, didn't have one, or an abacus, or wrote in the sand. But somehow, Philip knew something, that there was too many people for the food that they had. Actually, in verse 7, Philip answered him, and said it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Now, how did Philip extrapolate the amount of crowd there? Everybody gets one bite. It'd be half a year's salary. Philip's good. But Philip knows this is an overwhelming problem. And then Andrew. Oh, yeah, even Andrew. Verse uh, 9. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? All these people. There's too many people here. Some of you may remember from uh, Easter a while back 
where I brought out my lunch pail. And I talked about how in our lives, like we saw in the video, that sometimes we can say, send the people away. That's what the disciples did on more than one occasion where there was multitudes being fed, the 4,000, the 5,000. And here comes this little boy's lunch. And the first thing that you would have to summarize is this. This is not enough. How would this lunch, a couple cans of tuna and a couple tortas, feed 20,000 people, 15,000 people, conservatively 8,000 people? Hey, have you ever said this about yourself? What I have is not enough. My faith is not enough. My, my time's not enough. My talent's aren't enough. My, my treasures are not enough. I just don't have enough. Can I just tell you this? I, I'm just going to let, let you in on it. I need a little, little counseling here, so I'm just going to vent for a moment. Can I vent for a moment? Is it all right if I vent? You guys back there? Yeah, okay. Yeah. I tire of people who say we can't. It can't be done. It will never happen. We don't have enough. And there are people all around us sometimes. We hear that from them. It'll never change. Nothing will ever be different. But here we have a story where a little boy's lunch is brought forward. Now, wouldn't, wouldn't you, like, well, let me just say this. If you were Andrew, would you even have the guts to say, Jesus, look, look, here's something we could use. I mean, come on. 8,000, 15,000, 20,000 people. We have a little boy's lunch. And what was it? Five little barley loaves. Smaller than a hot dog bun. And two small fish. Let's just be extravagant. Two cans of sardines. Ooh, I don't like sardines. Okay, two cans of salmon. Two cans of tuna. 20,000, 15,000, 8,000? Would anybody have said to, to, to Andrew, excuse me, uh, that's not enough. You can't get there from here. You can't multiply this. But remember, who's with them? It's Jesus. He has the power to bypass all natural bakery laws. He doesn't need an oven. He doesn't need a mixer. He can just say, bread, let there be bread. And there was bread. Fish, filet fish everywhere. Tartar sauce and all. Come on. Jesus has the power to do whatever needs to be done if it's his will for it to be done. He can change us. He can transform us. He can do great things with us. But here's the question I have. What is the problem in your life that is so overwhelming? And I think you should give it a name. Fear. Health. Finance. Future. Concerns. Huh? A lack of courage. You should give it a name, and then you should give it to the Lord. Give it a name, give it to the Lord. Here's a formula. It works. Where'd you get that? Jesus said, cast all your concerns on me, all your worries on me, all your overwhelming moments on me, and I will give you rest. He doesn't ask us to carry everything in life, all the problems we have in life. He says, listen, give it to me, all your depression. Young mamas, all those diapers. Lots and lots of diapers. I'm so glad we don't have any more diapers. I pray for you that do. Huh? All these bills. My uncertainty of future. 
All these issues. See, if Jesus can turn the water into wine, if Jesus can heal the nobleman's son in Capernaum, if he can heal the paralyzed man at the pool, and if he can feed the multitudes with a little boy's lunch, what can he do? Do we believe him? Well, all these things have been written that your faith might be enhanced, that it might grow. So I want to give you a little uh, mindset that people find themselves in. Last week, we talked about learned helplessness. And several people emailed me about it. They said, wow, I never heard of that phrase before. Learned helplessness. It's a situation that happens in your life. And pretty soon, you surmise that I will stay stuck. I will be helpless. I'll put my hands out. Everyone else will take care of me. I will take no responsibility for myself. And whatever happens in my life, I'll blame everybody else. Learn helplessness. It's actually a condition that people have. Learn helplessness. But we stop and say, no, the Lord is my help. Come on. He's my helper. Whom shall I fear? What is your problem right now that seems so overwhelming? Well, the shortage mindset says this. I'll never have enough. I never will. I don't have it. I'll never get it. I don't have it. I'll never get it. Things will never change. It's words like lacking and wanting and being overwhelmed. The focus is on my limited resources. And here's what I've learned in my years of pastoring, my years of leadership. If I focus too long on what I don't have, I will never move forward. I have to focus on what God's called me to do and what God wants me to accomplish and what God wants us to accomplish. I had a lady talk to me a few weeks ago outside church. You know what she said? I've never been to this party thing you guys have been talking about. It seems like a pretty big thing. I said, yeah, about 4,000 people came last year. They ate up all our candy. They put themselves in the Euro bungee, and we gave out free cotton candy and popcorn, and and uh, the only thing we charge for, I think, is hot dogs and tater tots, right, for a buck. And all active duty military get it for free. So come on. It's a great thing. The party's free. The party's totally free. And she said, I can't believe that you guys, how did you ever start this? I said, it was a vision. It was a dream we had. She said, actually, when I got here, the church was doing the party already. We just kept adding to it. And a couple of years, we went to the Grange Hall. We tried to fit in there, and it was a fiasco. We didn't have enough room. And somebody said, Pastor, what are we going to do? We have no room. I said, what a great problem to have. You can look at it either way. What are we going to do? It's a crisis. There's no room for any more kids. They said, great. We'll take it to the street. They said, how can we do that? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We got a permit from the police department. They let us block off the street. We had to carry a $2 million insurance policy. By the way, you can have a block party too if you got $2 million bucks in insurance. And then we said, would people come and help us? That's you. Now, this is not a uh, commercial about the party. But at first, to this woman who'd never lived it, it was overwhelming. Can I tell you, it was a little overwhelming to us when we first had the vision to take it to the street, and every one of our parking stalls out there became a game. And that corner area over there became an area for the, the bigger kids, and out in front here in our annex building... Uh, became a, an area for the younger kids, and we had a photo booth. and I mean, it's just all this stuff. People go, really? Why would you do that? Because the community deserves a party like that. 
You celebrating Halloween like I told you earlier? No, we're not celebrating Halloween. We just happened to put it on October 31st. It's called Family Fun Block Party. Isn't that cool? Well, if you look at your limited resources, you could say a church our size, even as big as we are with three services, we can't have a party like that if everybody doesn't step out. So if you look long enough at your limited resources, guess what you'll do? You'll have a party for nine little kids in a backyard somewhere with little happy birthday hats, and you won't do very much. Hey, I want you to think bigger than you've been thinking, because if you focus on your limited resources, you'll never get beyond where you are. And the result will be this, an overwhelmed life, I promise you. If you begin to say, I don't have enough, I never will, and if you focus on your limited resources, you'll eventually say, I have an overwhelmed life, I can't move forward. But the thing here is, number two, the opportunity, we have a miracle working Jesus. That's what he does. Somebody says, well, I don't believe in miracles today. Well, you got a problem then. Because there's miracles all around us. People have been saved and redeemed and changed. Depression's been lifted. We even had our prayer team, uh, you know, when they prayed for people, there have been people that have actually been physically healed right here in the church. You got a problem then, folks, with your theology. People go to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you're, you've been healed. Now you got another problem. You have a verification of a healing. Now what do you do with that? And by the way, what do you do with this verse, Hebrews 13, 8? Jesus Christ said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. You got a problem. We have a Jesus who can do whatever he wants. He can meet any need if it's according to his will. He can do anything. So there's a story told about a king. And the king wanted to see who in his kingdom actually had a heart to problem solve in life. So at the beginning of, or the entrance of the city, the, the valley came down, and the king commissioned his men to put a big boulder right in the front of the entrance to the city. And the king went up into the hillside, hid behind the bushes, and watched all the noble subjects come to the big boulder. And the first man came, and he cursed the boulder and walked around the long way to get into the city. A bunch of other people came together, and he thought, oh, yay, they're going to become a team and be united. And all they did was grumble about the boulder. They cussed at the boulder, too, and then walked the long way around. Well, this went on all day until finally a peasant man came and saw the boulder, and he pushed with all his might on the boulder, put his shoulder into it, got down really low, used his legs, but he couldn't move the boulder. And finally, he went up into the hillside. The king wondered where he went. He went up and came back with this big log and a bunch of rocks. And he created a lever and a fulcrum and got into the dirt and was able with that fulcrum and lever to start to move the boulder. It moved a little bit, so he got another, another boulder. He did it again. And all of a sudden, the boulder started to go. And then he put his shoulder into it, and the boulder tipped over, and gravity did the rest. And he looked down underneath the big rock, the big boulder, and he saw a bag. And he lifted the bag up. The bag was filled with shiny gold coins and a note. And the note said these words, the obstacle in the path becomes your path. Never forget that in every obstacle is an opportunity to improve your condition. Let me say it again. The obstacle in the path becomes the path, and never forget that in every obstacle is an opportunity to improve your condition. You're either going to go over it, 
under it or through it, but you're going to go. Or you can curse it. I'm overwhelmed. Or you can say, miracle working Jesus, what do you want to do in this situation? How do you want to help me? Where will you guide me? Where will you lead me? And I think the questions beg to be asked. What obstacle blocks your path today? What obstacle blocks your path? Could the challenge be an opportunity for a miracle? A boulder in your way. A multitude that needs to be fed like in our story. You can make the application. What are you trying to get out of that you should be dealing with? You ever notice some people when when the going gets tough, they get going away from the situation? Or something doesn't work for them and they quit, whether, whether it's a, a church or whether it's a club or whether it's a school or whether it's a job. They're constantly moving, constantly running. Rather than dealing with the situation, they're constantly on the move. I, I know a family many, many years ago, many, many, many years ago. None of you would know them. And I know this family, and, and, and they got really upset at the church they were in. And so then they came here. And uh, the pastor told me back in the day, I knew him very well. He said, be careful. I said, why? Because uh, the minute something isn't to their liking, the temperature or the bathroom lacks Kleenex or something happens in Sunday school, you just be ready. They're going to come to you. And boy, three weeks they were here. And guess what? They came. Oh, my gosh, they came. And then uh, they, they said, we're going to go to XYZ Church. So I called that pastor. Back in the day, we were more connected than we are now. We're pretty fragmented, actually. And, and this one a pastor knew me, and he, I said, hey, 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 I, I'm not tattletelling, but just be careful. You know, the XYZ family's on your way. I said, call me in about four weeks. Well, he said, why four weeks? I said, just trust me. And it was four weeks to the week. And he called me and said, man, they were all mad with now, not so big of a deal. I mean, we've got 50 churches in the community. You can bop around uh, if you want. A lot of, you know, like places to get tacos. I mean, there's lots of places in Lompoc to get tacos, right? Yeah, yeah. Some are in the back corner. You have to know where to go. And some are kind of hidden treasures. You got to know where to, where to find them. And some of them you can get, you know, five tacos for four bucks. I mean, that's a really good deal if you know where to go. That's all I'm saying. <clears throat> I know where that is. But here was the problem. I watched their family from a distance, and I watched their kids grow up. And guess what their kids do? Anytime there's a problem in the classroom, right, they go running to the principal to file a grievance. Because what they've taught their kids is, if it doesn't go well, it's not your fault. If there's an obstacle in your way, don't, don't try to push the obstacle out. Don't work through the problem. If something doesn't go your way, run. And these kids now are young adults, and guess what they do? You ready? They run all the time. That job's not good enough for me. Those people aren't good enough for me. That church isn't good enough for me. And they're now teaching, guess what? The next generation, a learned helplessness. We are going to run from rather than deal with. I, I want to tell you this. With the Lord by our side and a heart of maturity, and by the way, we're all going to make mistakes. And by the way, we're going to fail each other. You got that? And at some point, this church will fail you. I just thought I should tell you that because there's no perfect church. By the way, if you find the perfect church, don't you dare go there because you'll mess it up. Huh? But what do we do? It goes with marriage, too. If there's an issue going on, you're going to run every time? By the way, if you start running, eventually you'll say, I'm going to hit the panic bar and go out. It's called divorce. 
Because people don't stay committed. They won't work through issues rather than, right? And here's what, what could have happened in this story. What could have happened in this story is the disciples could have said, we're out of here. We don't want to deal with this. But Jesus said in John 6, 10 to 13, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down, about 5,000 men again. And Jesus took the loaves. And what does he do? He gave thanks. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Just think about that. The bread keeps growing. The fish keeps growing. People keep eating. They're belching. Excuse me. They're having a great time, right? Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. We know there's 12 disciples. They were in the region of the 12, the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 was very significant. And so now you're going to have the pieces of five barley loaves left over and those who had eaten. Here's some lessons for us. Whenever you find yourself in an overwhelming situation, begin with gratitude. It's our word of the day anyway. Gratitude. He gave thanks. He took the little boy's lunch and he lifted it up to the Lord and he gave thanks. Why? Because he knew what was coming. He was blessing the meal (laughs) that all the people were about to receive. He was praying over the food. Food that had not yet arrived, but because of the miracle power of Jesus, he began with gratitude. When you find yourself in an overwhelming situation, don't begin with grumbling, begin with gratitude. Lord, thank you for what I have, not for what I don't have. Thank you for your presence, not your absence. Thank you, God, for people you put in my life. Colossians 2, 7 says, let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all God has done. I mean, we should be overflowing with the thanksgiving of God and what God has given to us. Number two, give God what you have. Give it to him. See, the tendency when we're overwhelmed, when we're stressed, is we want to hold on to what we have because we're afraid we're going to lose it. Yeah, we give God what we have. We give him our time, our talent, our treasure. We say, God, it all belongs to you. I give you my future. I give you my concerns. And I stop saying not enough. Here, Lord. Here, Lord, I give you what I have. Do you remember uh, Moses was asked in Exodus 4.2, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. What's a staff? A glorified stick. What's so special about it? Not much, except this. Moses was a shepherd. God spoke to Moses in the context of his life. He didn't call him to something he didn't understand. He called him out of where he was. I did a a kind of a flyby of the whole Bible of everyone that's ever been called by God. God called them out of the familiar. God called them out of the ordinary before the extraordinary happened. God called them out of the normal before the abnormal took place. God called them out of the natural before the spiritual or supernatural took place. That's what he did. He calls fishermen to leave their nets and come now and fish for men. That's how he called his disciples. He tells Moses, throw down your rod. And when he did, what happened? It became a serpent, snake, right? And then God says, uh, reach down and pick it up. Now, God would not ask me, because I'm not a snake lover at all. But God said, pick it up. And when he picked up, it became a stick again. Whoop, it became a snake again. Whoop, stick, snake. Whoop, up, deep, up. And what had Moses done? He made excuses. Lord, you got the wrong guy. I stutter. Find somebody else, God. 
and God tells Moses, it's not about you, Moses. I am with you. It's about the God that's with you, not about your insecurity or, or your stuttering or your believing that you don't have enough. Moses, I'm calling you, and if I'm calling you, I'm going to enable you. If I'm calling you, I'm going to provide for you. You know, when God calls us, he calls us out of the tools we understand. You know, if you're a, a domestic engineer and you have an SUV and you drive your kids to school and, and soccer, he's going to talk to you out of that context. If you're in law enforcement or, or if you're a teacher or if you're an engineer or if you're a contractor or if you're a landscape architect or you're a landscape worker, you, you, you put in irrigation or, or maybe you uh, watch people, maybe you're a nurse, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're a lawyer and such, right? Huh. Don't let your sons grow up to be cowboys. Something like that, I don't know. But, but in all of it, God calls you out of the context of your life. He calls artists and musicians out of the context of their life. And he speaks to them. He speaks to Moses. And in this case, he speaks to the disciples. Miracles happen when you give God the very things that you have that you don't think are significant. But does he have access to your stuff? Does he have access to your dreams? Does he have access to your abilities and your skills? And it boils down to him taking what he'd been given, the little boy's lunch, and holding it up. And giving gratitude. Gratitude is the posture out of which problems are successfully faced. Let me say it again. Gratitude is the posture out of which problems are successfully faced. If you look at the problem long enough, the problem grows. But if you stop and you're grateful for everything that you have. No, I want to focus on my lack. Oh, no. Focus on what God has given you and the blessings God has provided for you. And then as those blessings come to you, share generously. Who would have ever thought that a wood cross beam and three nails could matter so much to our eternity? It was a cross beam. Yeah, the vertical was in the ground because they did so many crucifixions every day. We, we think of Jesus carrying his cross. Actually, scholars believe he was just carrying the cross beam. And they nailed him on the, in the, into the cross, and they picked him up and hoisted him into that vertical beam, and they wrapped the leather straps around it. And there was Jesus, one nail here, one nail here, and one nail in his feet. A little beam of wood and three nails, but a mighty Savior and our salvation comes. Our lives are changed. Our eternity happens. We can look at the smallness of the beam and the smallness of the nails, but we have to look at the eyes of the Savior and the heart of Jesus who gave his all for us, who shared generously with us. The disciples could have said, hey, um, I'm glad we got our food. Remember he gives the baskets to the disciples first? And I'm sure there was somebody somewhere that wanted to run. Maybe Judas, I don't know. Maybe Philip, who said, this won't matter. I wonder how many, if that was us, I wonder how many Christians, none, none of you here in this service are watching online, maybe our 8 o'clock people from this morning, I don't know, would have said, hey, I got mine, see you later. Huh? No, no, no. no. They took the baskets, and they distributed them, and before their eyes, before their eyes, there was more fish and more bread. This is so cool. More fish and more bread. This happened to us once. True story. In our, our first church, we were, we were young. We went on a weekend camping trip, and, and we brought all the church with us. And the lady came to me. Eileen was her name. She says, uh, uh, we don't have enough eggs. 
No joke. I said, just put a lot of milk in. Scrambled eggs, you know. And this is a true story. We had a pan of eggs. Had like 100 people to feed. Maybe enough for 20. Huh? And I, she, she did. She got put all the milk in. It was the runniest scrambled eggs I ever saw in my life. And she started cooking, and no joke, she kept coming back. There's more. The eggs multiplied. I don't know how it happened, but everybody had eggs, and we had leftover eggs. You go figure that out. I don't know. Nobody complained, though. Everybody got fed. Thank God. Hey, when has God done a multiplying miracle in your life? Where you thought there wasn't enough, and all of a sudden there was? Or maybe God provided you with a job, and then they gave you a raise. You know you didn't deserve the raise, but you took it. Yeah, I don't know anybody that ever said, I'm giving it back, right? Come on, come on. Share generously as God gives. Why? Because we need to have this kind of mindset. Are you ready? It's a surplus mindset. It's a surplus mindset that God has more than I'll ever need. God has more than I'll ever need. This needs to be our focus as we think about miracles in life, that God has more than I will ever need. And here's the words, abundance, abounding, plentiful, They're all from the Bible. And then here's the focus, God's limitless resources. See how that shifts? You you could be a person that lives in, in scarcity, I'll never have, or you can have a shortage mindset, it will never ever change, or you can say, I have a God who has more than I'll ever need. A limitless resource, and here's the result. We have an overflowing life. Not an overwhelmed life, but an overflowing life. Overwhelmed, I'll never have it. Overflowing is, God has provided for me. And before we pray, I just want to make reference to Psalm 23, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What does he do with our cup? He says in the, the, the New Century Version, you fill my cup to overflowing, He says, you give me more than I can hold, and my cup overflows. What's my cup? My life. It's my life. And why does David say that? Because of the very first verse, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what that means? I'll never have any wants or or desires. Nope. The Lord is my shepherd. I want no other shepherd. I just want God to lead me, because when God leads me, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, and he allows my cup to overflow. Trust in God with all your heart. Be grateful for what you have. Be willing to give him what you have, and be willing to share, and God will help you in seasons where you need a miracle in the midst of an obstacle. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.